Welcome to Radical Practice, a series of conversations with some remarkable women graphic designers from the graphic design program at CalArts. As current students in the program, we are curious to explore how they have come to define self in design. We are hoping to learn more about our program's alumni and what success means to them in and out of their practice. We are your hosts. I'm Aline. I'm BFA from Pasadena, California. I'm Alex. I'm a BFA from Los Angeles, California. I'm Natalie. I'm a BFA from San Francisco, California. Uh, my name's Usha. I'm a BFA uh, born in Ohio, now practicing in California. I'm Lily, and I'm a MFA from Taipei, Taiwan. And there's Zen Yu. She's a BFA from China. And we're being helped by Louise Sandhouse, our fantastic faculty advisor. All right, I think we are good to go. How are you doing, Sami? I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us through technical difficulties. You've been so patient throughout this whole process. We cannot. I have experienced more. everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know it's such a strange world that we're living in now. So to start us off, uh, we're just going to do a little intro into what Radical Practice is. Um, so Radical Practice is a series of podcasts about finding growth and agency in the design practice. In each episode, current graphic design students from CalArts interview program alumni to discuss how they define success for themselves and how their education may have played a role. The team that makes Radical Practice possible are Natalie, Alex, Senyu, Lily, Aline, Usha, and Louise. Special thanks to Guy Spina for technical support and Chandler Sutton for our website at radicalpractice.calarts.edu. So for this special live streamed event, myself, Natalie Gooden, and Alex Eritmir will be joined by Sami Kim, who graduated from the MFA program in 1989. Sami Kim is a senior director of healthcare solutions at Johnson & Johnson Design, where she champions human-centered design solutions with real-world impact. She is responsible for building the design practice in support of J&J's healthcare initiatives across pharmaceuticals global public health, and medical devices. Sami received her master's degree from CalArts and an AB from Harvard College. Her passion for cultural context, brand experience, and human behavior fuels her desire to integrate design into larger conversations about business and society. To further these goals, she is a proud member of J&J Design Leadership Team and to co-lead Johnson & Johnson's WeSTEM 2D Women in STEM and Manufacturing and Design Youth Programs. She is an Aspen Institute First Movers Fellow and lives in Montclair, New Jersey with her husband and son. Hi, and welcome, Sami. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, we've been just waiting in anticipation for this event. Honestly, we've been very excited to talk to you. So just for a little bit of backstory, why did you choose CalArts? What brought you to the school? I chose CalArts for two reasons. I had heard about the new visual communication graduate program from designer Katie Homans. We had a mutual friend, artist Janet Abramowitz, who taught a seminar on the artist and the printed book at Harvard. And Katie, I believe, studied with Lorraine. Um, so 
that was uh, stars aligning. Basically, I was looking for a program and actually as well, a big motivation was that my friend Steve Mead was already at CalArts in the experimental animation program. So it felt like there were a lot of different reasons to make that move from New York City. That's awesome. Just having, having a call and having somebody there to kind of cushion the fall almost, you know, the, that move. I, I wonder, were there any struggles that you encountered when you first came to CalArts and, and what did you do to overcome those? My background was not in design. So yes, it was a bit like jumping into the pool. I had a mixture of more of a literary and studio arts training so I lacked fundamental practical design skills and a knowledge of contemporary design history. So I think that it was really lucky that I was even accepted, honestly. My first year was a crash course in graphics lab processes and typography 101. And my first Mac was a beige plastic chunk known as the Mac SE. In fact, my class was the first CalArts grad class to go through with Mac computers. And I was laughing about this with Barbara Glauber yesterday because we looked up the specs of the Mac SE and I was shocked because it's been a long time. But uh, the Mac SE launched in 87 and it came with one to four megabytes of RAM. It had a nine inch monochrome display and I think the resolution was really low, like 512 by 300 and something. And it was literally 13 and a half inches high, about nine and a half inches wide and almost 11 inches deep. So imagine that. And, and what we were laughing most about was the fact that if you tried to print a document with more than two fonts, there would be a postscript error invariably. So uh, it, just to put perspective on things, there were a lot of things that were new. So it wasn't just that design was new to me, it was that technology was changing. And um, I needed to embrace making stuff even when there were limitations of technology and my own formal training limitations. So it was a little bit of this double whammy, but it was really, invigorating to be there because there was such an air of discourse around concepts. So we needed to be able to think about ideas and take things beyond face value, even when we couldn't necessarily make the best prototype. And, uh, and so I think that was part of a really valuable lesson, which is that you can't always make things exactly like what they might be, um, but you need to continually strive to express an idea and then figure out how to make it better. And, and I found that my grounding in poetry was a useful analog to design as a translation process uh, because poetry is all about distilling and expressing a point of view and, and so is design. It's interesting that you say that because I, as we're kind of talking to all of our interviewees, we're realizing that everybody approaches design from a different standpoint and everybody has a different view on design, like you're saying with poetry. As somebody who's going through CalArts, going through this process, 
Was there a class or a project that gave you a sense of who you were as a designer? Was there a breakthrough? Because we're all wondering when, when we'll find our voice in design and, and when that happened for you. For me, it happened in grad seminar. And in a way, grad seminar was a bit of, of a boot camp. It was very intense and there were inevitable Wednesday all-nighters. I'm sure that hasn't changed. And there are three projects that I particularly recall. One of them was, and I can't quite remember the details of this one, I just know that we were asked to pick a page, a page of text. So it could be an article or a novel or whatever it was, it was a printed page. And then take that page and deconstruct it and reconstruct a new narrative. And I remember that this was not easy because it wasn't that we were all working in, in the computer realm and that we could just typeset things and print them out. So um, the stat machine in the graphics lab, the hand waxer, all those things play, played a big role in looking at scale and recomposing a page. So I remember that as somehow being um, a moment when I realized that there was this, this interconnection between the text and the image of the text that I found suddenly um, meant more to me than, than what I'd previously experienced. Another memorable project was Macro Micro. I don't know if that's still happening, but it's really a, an exercise in intertextuality. Um, and so through this program or project, we were asked to combine um, these different perspectives and in a way you uncover a new narrative through what I would call um, revelatory adjacency. So taking a macro story and a micro story and, and then creating a new narrative out of those things. And, and then finally, there was an installation. So taking it out of either a small screen or a printed page altogether. And uh, I remember that it was a uh, a group program. So we had to partner and collaborate with our fellow students across the two classes. And so I was with Lisa Nugent and George LaRue, and we chose the entrance. So that main entrance and, um, and our entrance had these giant photo murals that were overlays of the graffiti from the sub basement area. And we had scripted, of course, now it seems kind of cliche, but we had scripted um, a la Magritte, ceci n'est pas une école. And uh, there was a soundtrack as well, which included an overlay of gamelan music, courtesy of my friend Steve, who helped us with the audio. And I think that that was another experience of taking design outside of what the norms might be or the expectations and exploring what is it to create an experience. Seeing Ceci n'est pas une école a lot because of the pandemic and remote learning. And so it's funny that, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, re reworking of that phrase. Work has changed, I think, for the better and forever because of this event. And going just back to what you said about CalArts kind of giving you a different perspective of turning words and making them into imagery. I think that 
CalArts, not just the design program, does a really good job of kind of enforcing that interdisciplinary mindset and putting students in a place they might not have been before. I was wondering if there were any situations in which you wish you had conducted your work or yourself a little bit differently. Was there anything that you would change if you could, looking back on your experience? Looking back, I think the reality was that I didn't really have the capacity to do more than what I was doing. But if I did have more capacity, then it would have been a great sandbox for interdisciplinary exploration. And I, I loved the, the way that the different performing arts and visual arts were all mixed up together in, in the school. And, and I always thought that there, there could have been more done in terms of bringing together different disciplines. I completely agree. And I mean, who better to talk about bringing things together than Lorraine Wilde? And looking back and starting this class, we had just looked back on the history of really incredibly strong women leaders that came from this program and started this program. Did any of the female graphic design members affect your view of graphic design? Absolutely. It, and definitely Lorraine Wilde, Lori Haycock, the, the ghost of April Griman. There were so many women that were engaged in shaping what the discipline and the practice could be. And at the time, Catherine Lord was dean of the art school. So the culture at CalArts was infused with Marxist, feminist, deconstructivist discourse. And that was really uh, all around us. So it was impossible to not be influenced by that. Uh, of course, I also had um, Renee Kasuda, who was an important influence, and Carrie Aramota Mercer, who ran the first computer lab. So there were many women who were involved who uh, provided really great um, mentorship and guidance along the way. The other great iconic woman that we had the, the good fortune to meet in person is Ray Eames. And oh, I believe it was probably in, the, in 1988 in the spring when we were able to have tea with Ray in her home. And How did that happen? It was, it was part of a series of, of field trips or visits that we were doing with visiting students from Cranbrook. And I don't really remember much about details or context. I just remember the moment. And, and Lorraine would tell us that it was not about this, this pure expression of modernism, but that the real lived experience had this eclectic and personal nature and that we could see that in person in, in the home of Ray and Charles Eames. So that was a really special moment. I'm sure that's an unforgettable experience. That's incredible. Just coming into the program, you spoke about how you didn't exactly know what, what graphic design was necessarily, or, or that even as you were in the program, the idea of what graphic design could be was changing. And I was wondering, did, did college change your idea leave after you left? Did it change what you thought design could be? CalArts was, for me, a catalyst to personal reinvention because I had not practiced design previous to coming to grad school. 
And, and what I really gained from the experience is the sense of designer as author, that editorial potential of graphic design and the importance of having a point of view uh, as opposed to empty formalism or downstream service. And after you graduated, you started Reverb, which we've all heard about, with the famed Lauren Wilde, Lisa Nugent, and Whitney Lowe. How did that contrast with what you thought you would be doing before you came into CalArts, what you thought you would be doing after you graduated? I don't remember having any particular expectations because I hadn't previously practiced design. Um, and I feel lucky to have had a bridge to postgraduate life through a year spent with Karen Naono in the CalArts Office of Public Affairs. The, the late Steve Hillenberg, the creator of SpongeBob, was our intern. And I considered that year, that experience, an unofficial third year of grad school. And I continued to learn a lot from Karen even beyond that year. And during this time, I, I kept connected to the grad students, such as uh, former Amundsen roommate Barbara Glauber. And, and so it was a really an interesting bridge, a reverse commute. I had moved down to Silver Lake and I was able to hold on a bit longer to the, the, the school experience, but still begin to test out ideas and explore what I might do after. And, and Reverb was really the result of an organic evolution from a design collective to a business. And, um, and I see it as an idealistic collaboration that was based on shared interests and a desire to shape a new kind of practice. And just as another anecdote, when we formalized our doing business as, it was as a, quote, disadvantaged business enterprise, which is a category, or it was at that time, within uh, California's Board of Equalization. Um, that was conferred on businesses owned by women and minorities. And so um, beside Lorraine and Lisa and myself, and there was a, a fifth partner, Susan Parr, and Whitney was the sole male in an art center grad. And so it was uh, the five of us who, who formed Reverb around 1990. Oh, powerful. What an incredible group of people we've been reflecting kind of on our own studio experience, especially due to the pandemic and not being able to be together in that room where everybody is pulling all nighters and working so hard and hoping, just hoping that after we graduate, we can keep that community aspect. Did you stay in contact with your classmates after you graduated? And did you continue working with them? Even, even through graduation after you've left the Office of Communications? Definitely, and I think part of it was that Reverb had an open door and over the years, many CalArts friends and family were part of our studio, including James Moore, Andrea Fella, Beth Elliott, Glenn Nakasako, Dave Harlan, among, among some. So there was a continual connection also because Lorraine was still very much a part of the, the program, leading the program forward. So there was definitely a lot of a kind of a two-way stream between Reverb and CalArts at the time. 
And, and since then, I have stayed close to a couple of designers in particular, Lisa Nugent, who overlapped with me at Johnson & Johnson for five years and um, after Reverb Days, and Barbara Glauber. And Barbara and I had a collaboration between 1990 and 96, which was to design the CalArts admissions catalog. So we did three of those, and I see that as an incredibly fun co-creation and an homage to the school. That's incredible. I'm so relieved to hear that. I think that without my classmates, I'm not entirely sure where I would be going for feedback after we graduate. Just interestingly, after graduating, and I was in Los Angeles for 24 years, so it's kind of difficult to not keep crossing paths with CalArts alumni, but I, I developed friendships with people who had not been there when I was there. So uh, a lot of people from the art school who then went on to do different things. And, um, and so I think that was also incredibly valuable to, to even go beyond the design community and keep that connection. The CalArts Alum Network seems just so supportive and nurturing, which is really a good thing to know because I think that as we've been talking to our interview subjects, they've said, you know, obviously your experience has been a little bit different, but that the transition period from leaving CalArts to being in the workforce is just this weird time of self-exploration and definition uh, as far as how to find your practice, how to find something that's fulfilling enough for you. After you kind of, you know, were in working within Reverb and, and working with CalArts, did you surprise yourself with a superpower that you didn't realize that you had, that you had gained from CalArts that just wasn't some, not a taught thing necessarily, but something that you, that you realized you had afterwards? Um, so I know the superpower question comes up now and again in the corporate world as well. And when I reflect, I think that my superpower is adaptability. And, and also um, going along with that is it's uh, rooted in having had a liberal arts education, a, a humanistic curiosity about how things intersect and connect, and also zooming in and out between details and the big picture. And so being able to do that, it's, um, it's incredibly helpful because it allows one to deal with new information, new environments, new situations, and territory that maybe hasn't been trodden before. So how to always go in and try to observe and um, be able to ask the right questions. Such an important skill to have, especially in your line of work and dealing with kind of just these massive organizations and being able to take the macro micro look at it. Is there anything that you use, not necessarily daily, but a skill that came from CalArts that you think has been quintessential in, in your work and your business? I had to think about this, this one a lot. And I, in the end of, at the end of the day, I think it is advocacy. And so from a capability standpoint, the ability to defend a position and support one's point of view. And that is something that we had to do through all of those grad seminars. And, uh, and it was definitely a skill, even if 
at some point you wonder, am I really building the right business case, building the right argument, uh, or am I just bullshitting? But it is, it is important to be able to represent. And I think that um, as I've continued in my career, that's become increasingly important to think of social design. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, Salmi. I, as I said, I've been looking forward to this for a while. I'm handing it over to Alex, who will finish the rest of the interview. I'm going to stick around, though. So thank you again. Thank you for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Hi, Sami. It's an honor to speak with you today. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about your career post CalArts. Um, particularly if you feel that there's a certain CalArts juju, if you will, that you've carried with you after you've graduated. I, I think that in a way I, I kind of answered that with the, the advocacy capability. And I really do think that at CalArts we had to be able to speak up mm -hmm. and um, debate so the idea of, of having um, a discourse, not simply saying this is what it is, but to be able to have the back and forth and, and actually learn how to take feedback. And so one of the things that I truly believe is that feedback is a gift and it may not always feel like it, but no matter what we do, we want to understand is the impact of what we are designing actually achieving the goal of of the program and so um, the ability to speak to those things and to bring a story to life is a big part of of design that I've continued to to have to um, nurture and uh, continually improve what do you believe a practice that fosters agency and self-growth looks like for you? So for me, it is the ability to participate in scoping and problem framing, not just be given a design brief for a finite set of deliverables. So that, that participatory design of what, what the problem is that one is trying to solve. And and that also the deliverables might include process and tool development or culture change. So sometimes it's intangible things and looking across um, multiple functions, the, the idea of design integration. So, so sometimes the output is a new way of working or new process, as well as an experience that happens within a particular um, interaction or touch point. And how do you, how do you personally define yourself in the work that you do? For me, it 
it's been become so important to have a strong purpose, especially as I've been exposed to the potential of scale to influence positive change. And um, as we've seen, unfortunately, through the way the pandemic has unfolded, there are many public health concerns that are inextricable from health inequities and the persistence of racist policies. And so for me, the social design agenda is an opportunity to participate in, in rethinking many things in our society that aren't sustainable. That's so wonderfully said. Um, how did your career evolve to give you a sense of who you are as a designer? I think that from the moment that I, I started at CalArts with, with such a, a limited background in design, what I've confirmed over time is that a learning curve need not be a barrier. And sometimes being naive to a domain or topic can unlock new insights or considerations. And so sometimes that can actually feed a strength to not know everything, to not be that really deep subject matter expert. Um, it's, it's not always possible to maintain a, a high degree of confidence as we still operate in a very hierarchical and transactional environment where um, often the shorthand for, for expertise um, can be the number of degrees that you have or the number of peer-reviewed publications. Mm -hmm. so, so what I've learned is that I may not have the MD-PhD, but I still have something valuable to add in collaboration with subject matter experts that do have very deep specialized knowledge. And so the ability to feel that uh, I can have a seat at the table has been empowering. And hopefully um, we can continue to, to help students and that next generation understand the value that they can bring as, as design designers and also as generalists in human experience. That's so, so important. Were there any particular hurdles that you faced, uh, such as sexual harassment or uh, even prejudice that affected how you were able to see yourself advance? So fortunately, I have not encountered sexual harassment. However, I have encountered feedback from usually male colleagues that one had to be louder in the room. And mm -hmm. so I think that what we've learned over time is that we need to be inclusive of many different styles of thinking and processing information and communicating, and that it's not just about extroverts and speaking up unless there's truly something to say. And I have encountered at times uh, that kind of microaggression that if you're not as loud as the, the male voices in the room, that, that maybe you're, you're not as well equipped to have an opinion 
maybe you don't have as much to offer. And so that's something that, that we continue to work on within uh, my organization, which is that we have all had to take unconscious bias training and we have been looking differently at how we even write job descriptions and look at performance reviews because we can't always measure everything on, on the same scale. And to get to results and or impact does not always require the same types of external behaviors. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting that you said that um, because, you know, radical practice was created to support and amplify female voices within uh, a multitude of design practices. And as a leader of J&J's We STEM 2D initiative, I'm assuming that um, from what you're telling me, a lot of this has driven you towards your commitment to empowering women within the STEM and design studies around the world. I was wondering if you could share with us a bit about the program of, of We STEM 2D. Sure, uh, I'd be happy to. Uh, this is a, a, an enterprise initiative that was launched in 2015 to help to close the gap for girls and women in three different phases of, of their lives. First, zero to 19 in terms of elementary and secondary education. And then the university undergraduate and graduate phases. And then finally in the professional sphere, looking at our own employees, how do we support women who might want to return to the workforce after a career break of say two to 20 years? And so We STEM2D is a volunteer led program that looks for internal corporate sponsors that enable their teams to volunteer in um, activities with youth. And we have external partners that we work closely with to, to look at systems changed, science, education reform, and the, the principle of hands-on being a spark to helping somebody understand why a subject matters. So how do we help bring to life STEM, but also design, which is looking at the human experience. And that combination is a really powerful one. It's sometimes referred Absolutely. to as uh, And so our, our partners for the youth pillar, which I co-lead, are the Smithsonian Science Education Center, Junior Achievement, or JA Worldwide, FHI 360, and Girl Scouts of the US. And mm -hmm. each of them excels in a different area. And what we're able to do is to take a global network and build an organization where volunteers can help to fuel interactions with youth in different communities. And, and during the pandemic, it's been very challenging because we know that not all students have access to technology, to devices, to the internet. And so we are trying also to problem solve, how do we look at access so that we can help to reach uh, families and communities where schools had provided a bit of a social uh, cushion because they were also providing meals 
or other services? And what happens when you have that, that break or that disruption? And so, um, because there are so many things that, that enable someone to succeed and it's not always clear, just looking at the social determinants of health, education and access to a quality education are, are just one of the arenas um, that, that we want to help to support with, with external partners that have curricular expertise and also with a global network that we can harness. I think that's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's always amazing when design and activism kind of just bond together like that. That's incredible. I just have a few more questions. Um, are there still challenges that you face, particularly with your personal life and work life? There are always challenges when <laughs> I'm a teenager. So um, I, I think that one thing that I'm very grateful for is that I do have the ability to work remotely. I know that there are many around the world who have been so negatively impacted by the pandemic. And right. so I, I really don't take that for granted at all. Uh, but there are also challenges when suddenly we have to rethink what education means and what the boundaries are and how we can be flexible. What it has taught us though, as an organization is that we can still do things, even if we're not on site, even if we aren't together. And so it's been a, an interesting experiment to look at ways that we can still help to facilitate meaningful interactions and conversations so that they don't all blend together into a mind-numbing Zoom meeting. <laughs> long. Yeah, absolutely. And just thinking about some of the challenges, there, there's definitely a challenge in continuing to educate colleagues about the value of design. And mm -hmm. so the importance that I think um, that we need to, to always come back to is, is that we, we know that it's true, and yet the best way to demonstrate it is by working together. And so how do we find ways to engage with our business partners so that they can experience what it means to collaborate and to actually design things that have a consideration of the person for whom we're designing. So looking at different methods of research, co-creation, participatory design, and not just adopting software development sprints and some of that language, those are important as we are more and more developing digital platforms, but, but really stepping back and saying, do I really understand what's important to that person who is living with a disease and may have very specific challenges in getting through his or her day. And so I, design is always going to be that, that champion mm -hmm. of, of the patient, of the, the human being. And, and also within the context of a corporation, the employee experience. So what are the, all of the interfaces and environments that surround a person who has to get work done? What does that mean? And what might work mean in the future where we may not all have these, these big offices anymore? 
I, I heard that there was a global shortage of plexiglass because after taking all the cubicles out, we're now putting them back in. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, uh, and we don't know what, what perhaps we should rethink in terms of flexible schedules, distributed geographies, and different types of tools that still enable that rich interaction. I want to touch on the pandemic with you, but before I go ahead and I, I wanted to just ask, speaking of co-creation and um, community and, and of including other people, has there been someone in your life, perhaps a mentor, who has been instrumental along your path to securing agency? I don't know that there's been one person. I feel like that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I've had I've had so many great mentors from the 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 graduate program faculty to some of my undergraduate faculty and and also peer mentors. So keeping in touch with with friends and colleagues and and having thought partners that are working in different industries. So just not not ending up in a rabbit hole and talking to only people like me. So I think that, that what I've gotten the most from is the, the learning that happens when you work with people that are incredibly different and have had different training, come from different places, and it's not always easy. It can be much harder to, to figure out how to collaborate but in the end, the result tends to be much better. That's a far better answer than just one person. <laughs> um, so lastly, given the current situation, do you have any advice or ideas about how a design practice might evolve, whether that's your own practice or that of others? I, I kind of did it backwards. So I think that it's worthwhile to try, try out different types of design practice to find what you yourself most desire in terms of, of the experience of design. Um, so I, I started off in that more entrepreneurial space with partners and collaborators. And, and then I went from, from there to, to work for almost four years at Ogilvy. So going to an agency, really different model, not necessarily the best fit. And, and then finally going into a, a large uh, global multinational, um, going client side, as they would say in the agency world. Um, but that has been such an incredible eye-opening experience to, to be in the belly of the beast and to look at all of the systems that come into play when taking something from point A to point B. So a company that may have started off in a more manufacturing, conventional industrial mindset in terms of what development means, what product development means, but then suddenly opening it up into looking at 
other measures of success. And so that's been really interesting for me. It's just um, that, that pattern making and pattern perceiving of the systems required to get something to be real in the world at scale. And, and especially in the healthcare space, healthcare compliance, a lot of issues around regulatory and legal and privacy and different health authorities around the world and ongoing challenges, as I mentioned before, of, of inequities in access to healthcare. And all of those things are so, um, so in need of more, more, more thinking, more prototyping, different ways of looking at uh, what a business can be and how we bring healthcare to people who maybe can't access hospitals. And we've had to figure a lot of things out during the pandemic, which, which is ongoing, actually. Right. How do you think, how do you think the pandemic will change design from here on out? I don't see design itself changing. I, th I think what will change is that we need to question what the models are and how we, we look to build those design practices. So in the case of my organization, we had, had a lion's share of people based in New York City, but we have pockets of people in other locations, including Singapore, California, Europe. And, and it's, I think, going to be important to figure out at what point does it require in-person and when are we able to work together and yet remote. Mm -hmm. And it isn't always efficient to take a team from New York and embed them to do research on the ground in Jakarta, say. And I think gone are the days when people would jet all around because um, of the idea that you had to see it yourself. Uh, I think that we're getting a bit more mindful of sustainability and the fact that we have to build capacity in local communities so how can we build these networks of design that can extend into all kinds of communities where we partner and we still develop what the standards should be, but then work um, in perhaps different combinations in order to implement? Hmm. Well, on that, Salmi, thank you so much for speaking with us today. And it's been a pleasure listening to you and uh, your insights. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Sami. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that's us. That's that's our event. Thank you, everyone, also who's watching the live event for sticking with us. Hope you learned some more about our our podcast. And be sure to check out our website, um, which is radicalpractice.calarts.edu, for the other episodes coming out soon um, where we speak to some other phenomenal alumni and talk to them about their design practice. Thank you so much, Sami. Thank you again. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.